So I forwarded the email over to the Google guys and I was like, what do you want to do? And they said, all right, we're going to talk about it internally and figure it out. And, you know, we're like biting our nails, waiting for them to get back to us. And uh, finally they did get back to us and they said, okay, we discussed it. We're going to go ahead and proceed, but we want to announce it before he does today at two. So go write up the press release and get it to us as soon as possible. What's up, everyone? You're tuning in to the Founder Hour. We're your host, Patton Posh, and today we have the great pleasure of hanging out with Brett Crosby. Uh, Brett is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Pier Street. Uh, they're a real estate investing company, which uh, I'll let him kind of speak more about. Uh, he's also previously the co-founder of Urchin Software Corporation, and some of you, I'm sure, have heard uh, that they were sold to Google um, and eventually you know, became known as Google Analytics. So we're really excited to have you on the show and, and stoked to learn more about your story. Great. Glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for uh, coming in. Awesome. Yeah, Brett, just to kind of kick it off and let our audience learn a little bit more about your upbringing, um, were you always, were you, are you from LA? Uh, Orange County, which if you're from Orange County, you, at least when I grew up, you claimed it was not part of LA, but now it's basically one contiguous yeah. like stretch of... <laughs> yeah, all of SoCal is LA. Yeah, exactly. It's just all well, LA. In San Diego, they would definitely... We'll claim San Francisco too. We'll claim all of exactly, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. But So yeah, I'm from Orange County, grew up in Irvine, Woodbridge High School, um, and then went to USC after that, uh, lived in LA a short period of time, and then moved to San Diego and started Urchin down there. And I was there for about nine years in San Diego, and then... Once Google acquired us, moved up to the Bay Area, and then was there also for just about nine and change years, and then uh, moved down to LA. So I've been here for about two or three years now. But as you're, you know, as you know, you're a kid and you're growing up. Do you have any idea of, you know, what you want to get into? I mean, was there ever, you know, this dream of I want to become X? Like when I grew up, I wanted to be a firefighter. Yeah. And now I feel like, although I don't have the uniform, there's a lot of times that I have to put out fires. So I feel, <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like, you know, my yeah. childhood dreams have come true. Yeah. Um, was, the, you know, what was, what was Brett's kind of like, you know, childhood oh. dream? Uh, my dream was to be surrounded by women for the rest of my life. And okay. Uh, I think I may, must have wished that at some point. And now I've got a wife, two daughters, and a dog that's a woman also. So um, yeah. it came true. Okay, okay. Lesson learned. Be more specific with what with your asks. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, I love love my family. Uh, Julie is my wife. Uh, kids, Lindy and Lucy. It's, it's amazing. And they were sending you shout, hearts before. Shout out to them. They were. When you guys yeah. walked in, they were sending yeah, yeah. these like emoji hearts and all these things. <laughs> Um, no, I, 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 seriously though. Yeah. I, um, I, I always wanted to do lots of things and, uh, I think that's actually been reflected in my career, um, strangely, which I probably wouldn't have predicted that it would have gone this way. But, um, there was a moment when I was like, Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. And that was like more in college though. I was at the Nino yeah. at, uh, at USC yep. and, one of my buddies who is in business school, he was like, um, or he's in the business pro the business program, not not uh, grad school, but in any case, he's like, yeah, we have these entrepreneurs that come in, and you know, I, I think that's a pretty cool path. And I'm like, what's an entrepreneur? And he's like, basically, it's someone who builds up a business and sells it for more than it's worth. 
Uh, <laughs> that's a great answer. And I was like, huh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. And so I'm like, I, I want to do that one day. And uh, without knowing much about it, I thought that was that would be a very good idea. Yeah, so you were and telling us a little bit about it before, but you were an uh, international relations major? Yeah, international relations and political science. Yep. D- did you have like a path that you were thinking you were going to go down? Or was it kind of just, yeah, you know, this, this is interesting. I'll, I'll learn about this. You know, what's interesting is that um, I think I was like, when I first got to SC, probably like a lot of people that go there, I was interested in the cinema school. Mm-hmm. Got into that a little bit. And I was like, oh, I don't really like this industry. And I mean, I didn't really spend any time. I was just like, I've ended up finding it a little boring when it got on the academic side of it, yeah. right? Um, and then, um, and so then I started, you know, when I got much more serious about school is when I went on Semester at Sea. You guys familiar with yeah. Semester at Sea? Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic program. Allowed me to like see the world and like see all these different cultures, but also importantly, it allowed me to reflect back on my own life, where I was headed, and just get outside of my own bubble in a way that I'd never <laughs> been before and just think about my own trajectory. And the juxtaposition of the two made me realize, like, you know, you've got to be, or at least this is my internal monologue, was, you know, Brett, you've got to be a complete, you know, idiot not to be able to make something yourself with all of the opportunities that we have in the United States in comparison with, I met all these other people that were working super hard and they have no wind at their back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to see them working hard and actually trying to scratch out an existence and having this great attitude doing it and being really focused and trying to do those things. And then coming back here where I was kind of like, eh, you know, just kind of cruising, yeah. I got much more focused after that and realized it, it just made me aware of how great the opportunities are and that we have all of this wind in our back. And what I mean by that is like we have roads that generally function and, you know, mail that actually shows up on time and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you can get a loan at a bank and just all of the infrastructure and, yeah. you know, stuff that we have available to us, uh, I got much more serious about it. And I actually, when I came back from semester at sea, uh, tried to switch into the entrepreneur program. Um, and I was just political science, I think was my major at the time. And I realized that was going to put me out, you know, it was probably going to take another year to graduate. You just want to get out of there. And I was like, eh, I don't know if I (laughs) want to take that financial burden on. So, um, uh, I double majored in international relations. Mm -hmm. Um, but basically at that point I was like really thinking about how can I, yeah. I just got very entrepreneurial. So, so growing up, did you like have anyone in your family that you looked up to that was entrepreneurial and had their own business, or was it was it a little different? That's thing? a good question, actually. And um, uh, yeah, so I had uh, two of my uncles were very entrepreneurial, and interestingly, both of these uncles funded us early on um, with urchin. friends and family. Yeah, they were like rich uncles or some competitor <laughs> thing called rich uncles. Then. Yeah. Uh, uh, but in any, case, in any case, yeah, uh, Uncle Jerry is, if you're ever in San Diego and you see the Jerome's ads, actually they're in L.A. now. They're okay. expanded to L.A. I've seen it. Yeah, if you go into the Staples Center now, it's like Jerome's Yeah, yeah. It's like the, is it the black and yellow one? Uh, there's like an orange, or sorry, a red logo that says Jerome's. Uh, could be it's wrong. like Jerome's Furniture Warehouse. Okay. And now they have okay. the best seat in the house, a lot of games where it's like a lazy boy that you can okay. get upgraded to. I, I feel like, like I've seen it. Yeah, I feel like I've boy. seen it too somewhere. Yeah. So you'll see, you're here like once you're kind of tuned into it, you'll hear them, yeah, see yeah. them everywhere. We'll see it on the they way sell, back like, mattresses. probably. Yeah, you'll see it. Yeah. They sell like mattresses and all this yeah. stuff now. Um, and like I was just in San Diego this weekend and my Uncle Jerry was on TV. We'd just been at his house like, you know, an hour before that. And yeah. my kids were like, what's Uncle Jerry doing on TV? And I was like, I told you, Uncle Jerry's famous. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's Uncle Jerry. And then my other Uncle Chuck, also an entrepreneur, but he was on the um, biotech side of the world and doing stuff like DNA se- sequencing devices, like mm-hmm. the hardware that was used originally to do like the human genome project and all this stuff. Wow. So 
really cool stuff. Um, and so, yeah, both those guys were always very inspirational uh, to me. One was much more academic and uh, yeah. on the science side of it, but the other one was just like kind of old school, hard knocks and just busting out and like massively successful. You, you know, this could be out of order in terms of like the, um, you know, of this, you know, of your story. But one thing that always fascinates me is, and I, I think I mentioned the word before, like everybody talks about friends and family, go to your friends and family first. And, you know, we had, we had a guest on prior who said, you know, I didn't have any friends and family that were, you know, wealthy or even knew about, or could fund me anything, you know, yeah. but for, for you, what was that conversation like? Or, you know, what was your mindset going into, okay, I'm going to talk to uncle Jerry and uncle Chuck, you know, maybe they'll give me something, you know, what, what did you, how was, how'd that go? Yeah. So fortunately I was doing it with my, uh, older brother, Scott, who's, and this was urchin is urchin. Yeah. This is actually pre urchin. We were doing a website development company mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. called web depot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is in college or this is just college. out of college. Okay. Yeah. So you, gra- so you graduate, sorry, like let's just kind of, so you, you graduate college and then you start this web development firm with your brother. Yeah. Well, interestingly, uh, so my brother and this, uh, our old neighbor, uh, who, we grew up across the street from since we were like little kids, yeah. like three. I was probably three or something. We moved in next to them, maybe younger. I used to chase them around and all this stuff. And um, uh, but like long term family friend, literally across the street. He fortunately was a mathematical genius, and like in elementary school, went to high school, yeah. and like high it's school. All about location, location, yeah. location. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, so those two guys, and then um, they were doing a website development company. I was just out of college, had like kind of built this website. Uh, concept where we were going to try and take down the uh, the breakdowns, which is how castings are done. Mm-hmm. That's and this that's, is like mid nineties, right? Like yeah, ninety five. Yeah, when so I was like doing web that with one of my fraternity brothers, guy Austin Harrison, yeah. who he went on to become a very successful entrepreneur as well. Very smart guy. Um, in any case, uh, he and I were trying to do that. We were too early. Like we, that's a completely d- different tale. But we were using my brother and this guy Paul to build our website and that's, they were starting this business to do that. So they got uncle Chuck and uncle Jerry early involved in that. When I realized we were too early over there, they were like, Hey, you, you," I kept sending them a bunch of business because everyone's like, where'd you get your website done? Everyone wanted a website done. So I sent them all this business. They said, why don't you join us and help us do this? So I learned to code and build websites. And, um, there was a joke at one point where I was one of the highest paid employees in in all of San Diego. Uh, and it was because, Someone would pay us this monthly stipend, but it would take me about five minutes to actually do the update. So if you actually like, yeah, applied that throughout the month, it was a very large number. But it, in truth, it was not, smart, not smart true. business. Yeah, uh, but in truth, it wasn't true. Yeah. It was very low paid. Um, but in any case, uh, so yeah, so built up. Uh, uh, so we were building up that website development company, and we got Uncle Chuck and Jerry kind of involved that way. And when we pivoted, I actually um, re- kind of rewrote our business model. You know, when I say rewrote, it was like very lightweight kind of business plan, yeah. and um, said, "Hey, if we focus on just building software instead, and we'd kind of been building this thing anyway, I was like, if we pivot into that, we can turn this into a much bigger business than building websites. Yeah, because we knew we had the technical chops and smarts to focus on something and do something much bigger. Mm-hmm. You're doing websites, you're always building something. It's, it's very good, but then you set it aside." Right, and so that's that's kind of then we made that transition, recapitalized the business. I became a co-founder of Urchin at that point. Mm-hmm. We ended up bringing in my um, another really good friend from USC, one of my best friends, Jack Ancone, and uh, uh, brought him in as the fourth co-founder of Urchin. So you started Urchin. What did what did Urchin start as? Like, what was the initial idea? You guys are building websites, um, and now you're thinking about software. 
what kind of software? What was like that conversation? Like? Well, we had already been building web analytics software, which, by the way, was not that wasn't even a category or a term back then. It was like, you know, log file analysis or things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but we built it because we had we were building websites, and everyone would say, "Hey, how do I know if it's successful?" And we'd say, "Well, if people come visit, right?" And um, it was that, and then the other. Uh, impetus for it, which is interesting, is that bandwidth was was really expensive expensive at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of like getting your mobile phone, uh, like un, un, you know, if you didn't have like a prepaid plan, you didn't know how expensive your bill was going to be at the end of the month, mm-hmm. and um, uh, to host your website. Yeah. And in theory, people could see that it was they got a ton of traffic, and they were going to have to like the more time you're, the more times turn paged, off their website or something. The more times your page loaded, the more money you had to spend on it. it right? Exactly. Yeah. And so we were like, oh, we want you to see, so that when we bill you at the end of the month, it's not a shock. Mm-hmm. Um, because we were doing the hosting. Interesting. As well. So that was like the initial like that reason. Was the, uh, that was the original reason. Point, yeah. And we just happened to build it in a much smarter way than anyone had done. So um, it it was much more scalable than anything else on the market. And so what that allowed us to do was very important. Um, it allowed us to go after hosting companies. And my friend, I think my friend Jack actually came up with us. I've been thinking about this recently, this fishing boat concept, where instead of going after individual customers, we would go after the, the fishing boats, the guys that had already caught customers. And for us, those were hosting companies. Hmm. And as we get into the story about what I'm doing today with Pier Street, that also applies here. So Brett... At the time when you're, you, you know, you guys are building Urchin, um, you know, as a political science, international relations major, it's not something you learned in college. No. But you did say, you know, you learned how to code and you were familiar with it. But, yeah. you know, what was your, as, as one of the co-founders, what was the main role that you took on as Urchin was being built? You know, in the early days of any business, you pretty much have to do almost everything, as you guys, I'm sure, know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh over time, as I specialized in things, we had no product manager. And so basically, there were a few of us who sort of combined that role with our other duties. So I was running uh, marketing and biz dev, um, but, you know, lots of other things mm-hmm, too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother was running sales. Uh, Jack was running um, capital markets and uh kind of finance and then later some biz dev stuff too. And he ended up when we were acquired, he was running biz dev. Um, but lots of us did lots of different things. People kind of traded off, but I, but Paul and I, who was the, our, you know, he's the kind of genius that fortunately he wrote the software to be very mm-hmm. efficient. He's the one that, um, he and I kind of like would do the product work together, and, but everyone had, yeah, had right. input. So I was doing a lot of product work, uh, marketing, press, the whole the whole thing. I would go speak at all the conferences, talk to all the customers, get all the customer feedback, bring them back and say, okay, here's what customers want us to build and let's figure out how to build that. At what point do you guys start growing this team or, or even, you know, I guess before that, when do you realize that this is a big enough problem that, you know, has a big enough, you know, user base so that we can grow this? Yeah into more than it is. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, I think, it, look, we were there in the early days of the web when, um, and we every time the web would sort of double and triple and quadruple in size and 10x in size of the number of users and pay, you know websites and all that stuff. It was very exciting to be a part of that, um, and especially when you're creating this tool. What, what was interesting is that it used to be in the kind of early days of the web, it was all about uh, eyeballs and banner yeah. ads and things like that. And then the dot-com bust happened, 
And by the way, there's like a crazy tale where we almost went out of business during that, but we survived. And it turned out that web analytics are actually sort of counter cyclical because all of a sudden people care a lot more about where they're spending money and they need to know more data, what traffic uh, yeah. is bringing them value and what isn't. And they cut that out from the marketing spend. So all of a sudden web analytics became very important. Interestingly, Google had a bit of that as well because they were the, a huge beneficiary of the dot-com bust with people caring about where people spend on ad dollars and making sure it converted mm -hmm. and AdWords converted extremely well. So it all of a sudden there was a huge paradigm shift and they, they were huge beneficiaries. What was, how, what was your initial strategy for bringing on clients? Cause it like, cause I mean, at that point people are just getting into building websites, whether you're a company or a, you're an individual person, like what was that conversation like, like trying to get them to use your platform? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a, um, it's, it's a conversation that shifted over the nine years we did it. Um, in the early days, we would just try to explain to them, like, you built this website. Do you know if anyone's even visiting it or things like, you know, et cetera. And, but to be honest, we weren't great individual salespeople. We, and we didn't, we didn't want to be enterprise sales. So yeah. we were more about, like, partnering and growing with our partners, like, yeah. web uh, Hosting and, and was it a subscription or was it like a, like a hard disk type of thing? We, uh, we had, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do hard disk stuff, but we, I mean, at, we did always kind of flirt with the idea of doing a boxed software thing, even yeah. though we knew that was going to go away over time. It was still very popular and an easy right. way to sell software. You could go to our website, buy it and like download it as the main way. Got it. We like to transact. Um, or we would do a big deal with a hosting company and, you know, yep. let them install it. And as far as the timeline, this is like what, late 90s? Yeah, there's like late 90s, like 97, 99 through kind of like 99, and then 2000, 2001 .com bust. We almost went out of business. And then, well, it was actually with 9 11, was like literally 9 11. There's a crazy story where we were supposed to sign a, um, we were supposed to fund on the day of 9 11. Mm. And uh, uh, I woke up to my friend calling me. Jack called me and he said, turn on the TV. And I did. And I was like, whoa, what does this mean? Do you think this meeting is happening? And he's like, no. I mean, obviously, we're concerned about right, everything right, else. Right. But yeah. I'm kind of, kind of just cutting to the chase on this. But So aside from all the other calamity and horrible things that happened on that day, uh, one of the results is that we, um, one of the guys who flew out from Boston the day before to uh, sign the check in mm -hmm. person with us or and sign the deal and actually like give us our series a check mm -hmm. is like, yeah, meetings off and we are only, we're reserving capital only for companies we've already invested in. Sorry. But the deal was completely paper. Cause it was just like unexpected. Like we, they didn't know what to expect for the next. Yeah. Year, I mean, the whole world changed yeah. that day mm -hmm. obviously in a massive way. So, and we had to like cut our staff and we, we almost went out of business. I took no salary for like six months after that. My brother did the same thing. I mean, I guess it's an obvious question, but I mean, I, I'm just interested into kind of seeing, you know, obviously, you know, we, we focus on the founder story, but like as a founder, how, what is that feeling like, you know, where you've, you've built up this company for, you know, at least a couple to a few years at this point, you know, you have a team of people that essentially kind of entrusts you with, you know, I mean, it's their, it's their livelihood really. Sure. Um, what's that feeling like as a founder, you know, to go through that? Obviously it's out of your control in this situation, but yeah, it's, it's very hard. So, I mean, just to the first part of your point, like just hiring people and taking on their livelihood, they're quitting their other job to go work with you. Your first time doing that, that's hard. And yep. I think, um, the sooner you get comfortable with it, 
the better because you can actually scale up your business. We were probably a little too conservative because none of us had ever done it before back then. Yeah. Um, I'm much more comfortable with it now, but also because um, I'm more comfortable with uh, understanding how to scope the size of the opportunity and the um, making sure the business is well capitalized so that we can afford to have employees and all of those things. That's not to say, though, that, look, if the world changes again, right. it turns on a dime, like, all, That's be- out of all, your control. all bets are off, right? So, yeah. And I think people recognize that. But, look, I do take that with me. I've had to do layoffs in very hard times like that. And it's very, very hard. I mean, you come out of that crying mm-hmm. many times and very shaken. And, yeah. Um, but it's also one of those things you go through with people, and it's um, – an incredible bonding experience uh, as well, especially once you dig your way out of it and create a successful business out of it. You also tend to learn, um, you tend to go much deeper on your business and make sure that you're matching, you know, income with your expenditures and things like that. So we did a lot to um, rethink our business models. We took like 30 page agreements to made them like on a single sheet of paper, front and back. Um, made, and we became a much more, uh, much easier business to work with right. mm-hmm. as a result of that. So um, I do think some good things, there are silver linings in those situations. And if you are able to survive to find them, then um, uh, you can you can ride those and, and really kind of change the way you, you operate as a company. And I think, by the way, uh, it, w- a little interesting anecdote is that had we raised that Series A from those investors that we were working with, then they wanted us to move to the enterprise yeah. where we would have been like a total me too. And yep. just like there were several other analytics companies in the enterprise at that time. Instead, we went um, the opposite direction, which is to say very light on professional services, much less expensive, but still very high quality serv- uh, software, just much more self-service yeah. software. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the tools ended up being very similar, but our approach was very different. And so, Later, we became a much better fit for Google to acquire and became much more strategic to them because we um, ended up having a much, a very large user base and that they were looking at their AdWords customers going like, what the heck, like 15% of our AdWords customers are using Urchin and like one, uh, you know, some marginal percentage are using all these other tools. What is this Urchin thing telling, like potentially disintermediating us from uh, intermediating us from our customer decision making process whether they're going to keep reinvesting in AdWords? Yeah. Um, and so, again, you never know how those like weird parts of your history will affect some mm-hmm, future mm-hmm, right. uh, purchase. And like, had we taken that Series A capital back then, we may have you never have done Google happened. Analytics later on. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> you're running this company for <clears throat> about nine years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you you survive the the market crash, and you you know you come out of it alive, and mm-hmm. you, like you said, it kind of worked out in a way where you're a better fit to get approached um, by Google, which was a I mean at the time still a big company uh, as as they are now. Uh, you have a funny story about that. Tell us tell us uh, how that uh, acquisition happened and how you found out about it. Yeah, so I mean the acquisition is interesting. There's all these other again like the kind of arc of history is just wild. Like um, the um, the guys who walked up to me at we were at Search Engine Strategies in 2004, which was this like the kind of show to be at for people in the anything to do with search engine optimization, advertising online, all that stuff. Um, and I had created a pretty big presence for us at that show. I brought a good chunk of our team, all the kind of key decision makers, plus a lot of engineers and just 
because I really, I, I'd been going to these shows and talking to customers and I kept bringing back, here's what customers want. And that show was really, really good for just learning what the ecosystem wanted, where it's going, how, we, how do we get ahead of it, et cetera. And we had just launched, fortunately, at that at that show, an on-demand version, which was um, where you could just basically install a pixel on your yeah. web page. You didn't have to do the whole, like, install mm. software on your server, yeah. which was a big innovation for us at the time. And that's how Google Analytics works today. Yeah. So had we not launched that, a lot of other things wouldn't have happened. But while we were at that show, Wesley Chan and David Friedberg walked up to us to me at the trade show booth and said, and who, who and just to, sorry, who are, what, who are these guys? So they said, uh, Hey, we're, we're interested in hearing about, uh, we hear good things about you and you know, about your company. We're interested in hearing about it. And I look at their badges and it says Google. And I said, okay, great. I'm happy to tell you as long as you're not part of the conversion tracking team, yeah. which was like this product that, um, Google had at the time. It was like a competitor of yours. Somewhat competitive. Yeah. Exactly. So I was like, it was, it was like, cause it's sort of competitive and they're like, Oh no, 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 we're not. It's fine. Go ahead. Tell us. And, uh, fortunately Wesley was, uh, lying through his teeth at that point. Who, um, because then I told him all about it and they were like, awesome. We're, we'd love to explore a, like a business partnership with you guys, like a business development sort of thing. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, there's no, I, I'm like, that is just code for, we would like to explore buying you guys, but yeah. we want to like, be a little soft about be it. Be a little soft about it, exactly. <laughs> and so it, turns, it turns out what they were is Wesley yeah. was the product manager. Your question, Wesley was the product manager on conversion tracking. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, Dave Friedberg was uh, head of, well, he was corp dev and Wesley's sort of partner on that. He was not head of corp dev. Mm-hmm. He was actually 24 at the time and just had kind of, he'd been at Google for a little bit. But and how old are you at the time? I was probably 32. Okay. And so here there's this, here's this 24-year-old that ends up like determining the fate of our whole business. <laughs> right. Fortunately, um, uh, and the reason I mentioned both of these guys so prominently is that Wesley went on to do a, a whole bunch of really interesting stuff in his career. He, he's now, he went on to Google Ventures and um, did a, made a bunch of really key investments there. Early on, he, he went to Google Ventures. He did a bunch of other stuff at Google. Uh, as well, but now he's at Felices Ventures, and Felices is, is an investment uh, an investor in uh, Pier Street. Mm. Dave Friedberg uh, went on to he left Google about a year, year and a half after they acquired us, and I was like, "What the hell? You just acquired us!" And said, "Like, come over, come here. It's great. You know, come on in. The water's fine." And then I'm out, and uh, he's like, "No, but I got this startup. I got this idea. I got to go do." And he went and built this company called Climate Corporation. Um, that he ended up selling to Monsanto for $1.1 billion. Um, and then he also did, uh, he was, he conceived of Metro Mile and built that business. You're familiar mm-hmm, with Metro Mile? Mm-hmm. Pay by the mile auto insurance. The insurance, yeah. And I get then, the ads all the time on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, really? It's, it's like they know I drive a lot. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I do. I, I use them. They're fantastic. <laughs> they well, do? Okay. I, I'm also an investor. I was an investor in Climate Corp. Okay, I'm an investor cool. in Metro Mile, just a full disclosure. Mm-hmm, yeah. But I love Metro Mile. I use, I use it in all of our vehicles, which is not a lot, but yeah. got a few cars and uh, some that we don't use that much, which it's perfect for. Right. That, anyway. Uh, and then he also went on to create Itza, which is like a um, vegetarian fast food restaurant based on, it's quinoa based up mm. in San Francisco and a few other places. But the key thing about that business, and they have these like, they've raised a ton of money at these ridiculous valuations, is that... Um, the whole back end, he well, the whole front end is fully automated, so yeah. it's like all iPads and stuff. And you, there's one employee that just works eliminating all the lab, the minimum wage has no impact on him, right? And so, yeah. like the whole front end of the restaurant has been automated. One employee just to kind of like make sure everything right. goes wrong, etc. Um, and then 
the whole back end is now getting aut- automated too. So there's nobody cooking. So nobody's cooking. What they're doing is like a hub and spoke model where it's like a mm. central restaurant, whatever. That's a long story, right. but he's been, both those guys have been massively successful mm-hmm. and gone on to do all these other awesome things. So it was great to get to meet them early on in their careers and have their, you know, influence on what we were doing um, at Google. Uh, but yeah, I feel like there was another part we were yeah the, the, the main part talking about your acquired. wedding day. Oh yeah, that whole story. Yeah, so, that's, so those guys walked the out. most important day of your life. Come exactly. on. <laughs> that's true. Literally, that is true. In, in two ways. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, yeah, in many ways. So what happened is, um, you know, when you're doing a startup, especially back then, there was no like back then there was not like it is now, where it's like, hey, you built, you tried to do a startup and you failed. Great job. We'll fund your next effort, right? Like, mm-hmm. Keep going. Yeah. Um, back then, it was like, I mean, I, yeah, I was just out of college, and then all of a sudden doing a uh, startup, and we did it for almost a decade. And like, if it didn't work, we had no like bankable sort of skills or like bankable anything for You're that fucked. time. You were basically fucked, right? <laughs> and so, like, literally, I was like, what am I going to do? Be a bartender or like bag groceries? I don't know, right? And so, um, uh, it definitely weighed on me in the mm-hmm. idea of like getting married and like potentially raising a family and all that stuff. So it was uh, it was hard because I had met my wife in Cabo and I spring break thing, but then we never started dating it at all. Um, and then I, uh, uh, sorry, after SC, I saw her at homecoming in the Nino, and then that's she where went to SC as well. She went to SC as well, and then um, we ended up starting to date and kind of a long distance relationship thing. Mm-hmm. Eventually she moved to San Diego and it took, a, it took me like seven years of dating before I was ready to uh, get engaged. But it was all because I was like, I don't know if I can even yeah. support myself, a lot, let a lot alone of what anyone ifs. else. Right. Yeah. Um, and so once Google approached us and was going to acquire us, I was like, sweet. Like now I can, I feel comfortable pulling the trigger because all that time is bankable and then everything else. Right. Um, and so we end up getting engaged, but the, um, the Google deal ends up taking like nine months. And so, uh, but I didn't know how long it was going to take. We kept thinking it was like going to close any day now. And so I get engaged and I'll just like, it's getting closer to the wedding. Here we're, you are swiping the credit card and you're like, we're like two weeks out from the wedding and Google had told us, look, if the deal leaks, we're walking. We don't care what phase because, and that was just a policy thing so that you're not out there shopping their right. deal basically. Um, and so we're like, yeah, we won't leak it. Anyway, I'm in the, I get out of the shower one morning about to head to work and I get a voicemail and an email at the same, I'm like checking my email. I'm listening to a voicemail. John is like, Hey, this is John Battelle. I heard you guys are selling to Google. I'm going to write about it today at two o'clock. Would you, you know, call me back if you want to put a quote. So you just have a fucking heart attack. Full heart attack. (laughs) I'm like, Oh my God, we've been negotiating this for almost nine months and like I'm about to get married. Like this is not good. So I forwarded the email over to the Google guys and I was like, what do you want to do? And they said, all right, we're going to talk about it internally and figure it out. And, you know, we're like biting our nails, waiting for them to get back to us. And uh, finally they did get back to us and they said, okay, we discussed it. We're going to go ahead and proceed, but we want to announce it before he does today at two. So go write up the press release and get it to us as soon as possible. So we actually went, my brother and I went and we're like, oh, what do we do? How did this guy find out? Um, it was through, we had hired someone to help us, uh, get the deal done, an investment banker and mm-hmm. they pitched the same client twice. And one of the meetings they said, Oh, we're selling this company called Urchin. And the other meeting they said, Hey, we're selling this web analytics business to Google and the person put two and two together, put two and two together and wow. figured out. Wow. Yeah. So in any case, um, that's what we think happened anyway. Uh, we'll go with that. Yeah. And so, uh, 
anyway, they came back and said, cool, you guys will be the ones who announced. We put the press release out, and then we were just like, ooh, you know, like, sweet. Um, and then two weeks later, and by the way, like, up until that point, none of our, like, maybe a couple of our employees knew. They knew something was going on, but they didn't know what. And so it was like, oh, by the way, in two weeks, we're selling to Google. And... Um, we're all moving up to Mountain View from San Diego. They ca- they were gonna they want to keep the whole team. It, basically, the whole team. There are a few people that were like, "Nah, I have a family here. I'm gonna stay here." There's like, yeah, a couple of people stayed, mm-hmm. but for the most part, the whole company moved up with their families. Like, it was a substantial move, um, and awesome. You know, like our one of our sales guys put it. Uh, there's still more to this story, but like, he, as our sales guy said, it was like doing AAA ball and having like playing AAA ball and having the Yankees call and say, you know, hey, we're playing the World Series. Do you guys know how to pitch and it was like, yeah, we know how to pitch. Yeah. So it was super cool. And then, um, but so we announced it. And then I'm flash forward to my uh, fast forward to my wedding day in my tuxedo, surrounded by my groomsmen, drinking a Pacifico. And in comes my co founder, Paul, and with his like telephone book of an agreement. And he slaps it down in front of me. And he's like, Brett, you got to sign this thing. And I was like, Paul, I'm walking down the aisle in 10 minutes. I don't know. I can't read this. He's like, dude, you've read it. You know it's in there. Um, you're, you're going on your honeymoon tomorrow, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I think we're getting the deal done tomorrow or the next day. So you've got to sign now. And if it changes, we'll just use your signature page. Yeah. I was like, okay, fine. But like, you better not be Zuckerberg-ing me out of all my <laughs> shares right now. because. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like you're signing your life away, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like the one thing you don't want to do is like sign an agreement like <laughs> yeah. that when you haven't read it. But um Anyway, fortunately, Paul was an upstanding guy and did not do that. So I'm like, you guys are witnesses until my groomsmen yeah. and signed. And then 10 minutes later, walked down the aisle and... Just big smile on your face. Sold everything that <laughs> Because day. you were getting yeah. married, not because you sold your Yeah, yeah. yeah of course, yeah. That's a no-brainer. And on, uh, so it made for, made for a great wedding and a big party. <laughs> everyone, everyone celebrated. Wow. Mightily. Yeah, it was good. And then I went on my honeymoon and then all my uh, everyone else actually started while I was on my honeymoon. It was, I was only gone for a week, but it was like that fast. And they started moving up already. Yeah, but they, it was like show up Monday morning. Wow. Like you guys are starting. So it's kind of a blessing that that guy called you and said, in a way, like <coughs> I know about this. I'm going to write about it because it kind of sped up the process. And I don't know if it, it really became sp- real. I don't know if it sped it up. I think part of it was I think there were two things. One, when he did that, um, we were we had just negotiated the final point, and it was like, all right, we'll just write that up. I think that's part of the reason it proceeded. Got it. But what I didn't find out until years later, I actually spoke at Stanford and to this entre- this entrepreneur class that I didn't think was a big going to be a big deal. But it turns out there's like they create a podcast and syndicate Is this it out. Sam Altman startup. It's what? not Sam Altman's. It's um, the well, E Corner, and it's oh, okay. uh, Tom Byers who does it. Right, his um, brother of uh, Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield and Byers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and also Blake Byers, who's at Google, at Google Ventures now. It's his uncle. Um, but in any case, uh, and then it turned out all these other, like, full luminaries spoke in that thing, like Marissa Mayer, and I think maybe Larry did, and Zuckerberg, and all these people. So, anyway, and Crosby. And, and me, of course. <laughs> it's just right in there. Um, but, uh, no, so, um, it, when I spoke at that, I, I went out, and some people at Google heard it, and, and one of them reached out, and was like, I don't know if you know the backstory on that. When we were making that decision, like we almost did not proceed. Like we almost just cut it just for, to establish a precedent that you don't leak deals. Um, but we decided to wow. proceed. Basically we like, fucking oh wanted you. Yeah. They really needed and you. I guess, we were gonna but, get you. I guess, but also like it could have gone the other way really right. easily. You yeah. know? It was a good and, day for them. Uh, so they felt good. Bad. 
And so, especially because we knew, this is the other thing, they don't do this anymore, but back then they were like, here's the strategy and here's what we're going to do once we integrate you. They, ha- they had us like brainstorm the strategy and all this stuff. Now it's like, you, it's kind of church and state. Like you don't really talk about post-acquisition integrations. Back then we knew what we were going to do. We were, the strategy was to like rename it, give it away for free, integrate with AdWords, integrate it with AdSense, do all this stuff. And, um, and so we were like, oh, if they don't acquire us, like we're, we know we're hosed. It's yeah. like we don't want to compete against free. So yeah. I, I feel like whenever <clears throat> you kind of talk to an entrepreneur about like the differences between starting a company and, and sort of building a startup and working at a big corporation, it's always like the corporations are evil and it's like a huge you know political organization and I don't want to work there. And you, here you are like t- going from like a I mean, I don't know how many people you were at the time at Urchin. Yeah. Was it? We were at that time we were like 35. We'd been up 35. to 60 before and then a lot of that was yeah. in Japan randomly, but mm-hmm. So now you're going to like Google, right? Yeah. How was that transition like? Um, it was amazing. It was like going to the like some sort of promised land of startup life, you know. Yeah. Like it was the You already burned out. You're like I'm I'm ready to just hang out and No, I mean, look, we had all these um we had milestones and like it was 25 Google was about 2500 people back then. It wasn't this like it was not a place where you go to just get lost it was a place you go to just kick ass and work really hard and um try and you know like as naive as it may sound now to say but like really change the world and improve the world you know people believe they were doing that back then like very earnestly so it was a really neat place to be yeah yeah how long were you there just shy of 10 years yeah how was i mean i guess going off that transition question but how was it like being like you know the guy running the show technically with, you know, with Urchin to still running the show in this, you know, with this product, but being under this, you know, at the point, 2,500 is still big, but like under a big company with several products. Um, it was uh, fascinating. Um, I, look, we did not go up there with a lot of ego thinking that we were some sort of, you know, hot shots or anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was really the opposite. We were like, we felt very lucky to be there. We felt like we had slid in the back door mm-hmm. because we, none of us went to MIT and all that. You know what I mean? Like right. really yeah. smart people there um, and very high, highly pedigreed and uh, et cetera. Um, so we went in there thinking like, hey, we're gonna, this is a place where we can learn a ton and it's, it's going to be an amazing experience. And it was. And we did learn a ton. But one thing I also thought is like, wow, I'm going to learn from all these professional people on how to do product marketing and all this stuff. And uh, Google didn't really have its act together in some of those areas as yeah. much as I would have expected. But it was because they went they went from a very small startup to a very fast growing startup, and like they were learning it as they went. So yeah. um, it was really I always found it fascinating to see the areas where you know they hadn't really built out that kind of infrastructure within the company, and you you could see that stuff mm-hmm. um, even at that stage of that business. Um, but that's what made it even that much more exciting to be in because you're like, wow, I can actually contribute something to this business and not just sort of learn from them. And so then once I felt that, then it was like really exciting because I could dig in mm-hmm. and start offering ideas and suggestions right. and build out new things. And, you know, and did you do that? I did. And so like we did, uh, I worked with the uh, product manager on website optimizer and like we tried to build multivariate testing and AB testing tools. And we were just thinking like, what are the other things that are adjacent to web analytics that we can build out, and integrate with? And then I started um, getting advice from my manager, like, hey, look outside of that. Like, look at local ads and mobile ads. These are big strategic initiatives for the company Mm -hmm. and potential really new big areas that you should, I want to put you in charge of these Mm -hmm. things. And I was like, I don't have any experience with that stuff. And they're like, who cares? 
did you have experience with web analytics before you started out? I was like, no, like no one had ever. So I think in part of that and growing in and doing those things, and then we acquired AdMob and like AdMob was a $700 million yep. acquisition. We became very big in the mobile advertising space, but had to teach the rest of the market about it and, you know, mm-hmm. figure it out ourselves. Um, uh, what I learned is that I could go into lots of different areas and just kind of figure it out as I went. And so over time, I got much more comfortable with that. And mm-hmm. I think actually the going back to your first question about, uh, you know, like the, my early days as a kid, what did mm-hmm. I want to do? I want to do lots of things. And that I felt I ended up getting very comfortable with just doing right. jumping into businesses mm-hmm. I knew almost nothing about or yep. that didn't exist yet. And figuring them out and kind of like coming you bring up, up a, a plan. You bring up an interesting point because it's like, um, you know, when it comes to especially highly technical industries or companies, it's, I mean, what do you think for you in particular, like you said, you didn't really know too much about the technicalities. And I know your co-founder was kind of the math genius that you yeah. know, kind of built it. But still, like, what do you think set yourself apart and set yourself up for success compared to another company that might have been doing the same thing at the same time? Um, and the web analytics that, space that maybe like knew more about it or like was you know kind of yeah, yeah there were definitely guys that were out there further ahead uh, of us and considered you know we were not considered the top tier player at the time by you know a lot of analysts um, but what made us really unique is that they were focused on a very specific paradigm and business model and we had done something very different and theirs was it was basically enterprise enterprise sales they were going after you know, individual companies trying to charge them a lot for the individual software piece and then all this, all these professional services and creating, you know, like using it, sucking onto one customer as a cash cow. We kind of took the Guy Kawasaki approach of, you know, when he was doing garage.com way back then and writing books like how to drive your um, competitor, how to drive the competition crazy. And we were trying to apply those lessons to this space and say, let's do something very different. And instead of very expensive, let's go low price Mm -hmm. and go for as many users as we can. Mm -hmm. Because we knew everyone out there, whether they were the largest website in the world to the smallest person with like a GeoCities account, which was like a... Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, that, that... Everyone cared to know if people were visiting their website and like what pages they were looking. Remember those at little website trackers at the bottom that showed. exactly, <laughs> yeah, that was like early website story stuff. Was yeah. doing that, those things. Yeah. But in any case, so we were uh, we just had a little bit different uh, take. And my brother would always say, say things like, "It's the wow thing. It's the word of web." I don't know why you coined that strange term, but it was like really just kind of like your, your reputation and like getting the word out there is the most powerful marketing you can do, and just having you know people talk about you. Uh, and, uh, and that ended up being quite true. Wow. So you're at Google for 10 years, and then did you leave to start Peer Street? Yeah, so I was at Google for 10 years, and before I left, I was running Chrome, Gmail Docs Drive, global product marketing and growth. Um, and this then, is like from launching the products to I didn't, Chrome. no, I was not on Chrome and Gmail or Docs, from the inception, I got there by, I had been on social mm. and right when uh, I got social successfully launched and landed and I was like, okay, I'm off this project because I was like committed there and I, like a lot, a lot of really good people yeah. left. It was a great product uh, project to be on because they pulled so many smart people that I got to work with, guys like Max Levchin and mm-hmm. Rob Spiro, all these mm-hmm. guys who went on to do all these amazing things. But, um, uh, and there were dozens and dozens of others like that. 
Um, but a lot of people left because it was a crazy kind of shit show of a. An, is this social as in Google Plus? Yeah, Google Plus yeah. plus one button. I, you don't uh, want to say the name, but we. There's have to like a ton, well, it, well, I say social because yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it there, there's of, so many things right. like even the universal look and feel of Google, which everyone takes for granted now was a part of that. The thing that they called sandbar internally, which is yeah. like that all the links at the tops of all the pages basically are universal and the same. Um, there was just a whole bunch of things, universal terms of service. We rolled out before that. Every product had their own unique term of service yeah. per product. It if you only knew you had to just launch stories on Google, yeah, it would have been a whole different experience. But yeah. Um, I actually think Google has a huge opportunity in social right now. Yeah. Cause the whole thing, the space is so, uh, upended again yep. but in any case um and then uh i left that and uh went to work on the launch of google drive and that was pre-drive launch and i helped launch that of course scott johnston who's the uh product manager i think he still is on it very smart smart guy and great team and then I, as i did that i took on docs and gmail and then someone someone else had the full-time job of global growth and marketing on Chrome and she went on maternity and she's like, Brett, I need you to, she used to work for me on the, on uh, mobile ads a long time ago and she'd had this great career and she was like, hey, I'm going on maternity leave. You're the only person I trust to like take this over and then give it back to me when I get back. And I was like, I can't do it. That's a full-time job. I got this job. And she's like, you can just do it. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I took on her job too. <laughs> and then um, she came back and she's like, oh, I'm coming back. I was like, sweet. I'm ready to give you this back. And she's like, oh, but I'm going to Google X. And so <laughs> she's like, you're stuck with it. Oh, like, good. Oh, great. So anyway, I did that. And it was actually, it ended up being fine and, yeah. and a lot of fun. Worked closely with like guys like Sundar, who, you know, yep. became Google CEO mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. Um, et cetera. And then uh, everything was going swimmingly. I loved Google. And then uh, my co-founder for Peer Street, well, my, I, let me put it this way. My old buddy from college from USC reached out and said, hey, I, uh, I have this idea. I want to sit down and tell you about it. Um, and basically, I want you to be my co-founder. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, there's, that's not going to happen, but let me learn about the business, et cetera. And after several conversations, I was like, well, maybe I will do this. Yeah. So this is Brew, Brew, Johnson. Brew Johnson. Yeah. And, and what was he doing at the time? So Brew, um, basically, long story short, he was a real estate attorney. He got obsessed with what was driving the growth in real estate prices, and it led him to securitization. And he was like, this is not going to end well. He like got obsessed with the, all of the details of it. And he was like, no one, people are not paying attention in this and this is going to end badly. And so he kind of was like, a, had <laughs> this big short sort of mind yeah, frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this uh, is pre, pre-market pre crash or? Pre-market crash. Like as early as 04, he like had his wow. girlfriend okay. at the time is now his wife sell her condo. And he was like, as he puts it, he was not fun to have at cocktail parties because yeah. he was always saying like, the sky is going to fall very <laughs> soon. And yeah. sure enough, it fell. And But by then he had quit the law and, and his brother had said, hey, help me with this, my startup that is going very well. He did, but he, he fortunately he had this outlook and this insight because he told his brother, like, you need to start taking these calls from acquirers who are trying to buy your company. Because his brother was just like blowing him off. He's like, nah, we're just going to keep growing this thing. It's great. And so he ends up um, convincing his brother to sell to Expedia, which they do mm-hmm. one week before Lehman goes under. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. So really lucky time yeah. on his part. Uh, and so his brother did incredibly well. And so Brew the whole time is going. So he more. saw the future. Like he just, yeah. And so know. he was like, um, uh, but he was also thinking about you know how many people got hurt in that, and like, hey, how can you prevent the next crisis? Like when it comes to real estate, and how do you build a smarter model than the whole system that's there today? And so he started thinking about how to build Pier Street, and um, basically he he had a concept for what he wanted to build. And in 2013 a whole bunch of stars aligned. The main was that uh, the main thing is that 
the Jobs Act passed, which made crowdfunding legal. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, it was much easier to do the, the regulatory barriers for building this business. Right. The environment just got much better for it. Number one. Number two, the technology had come a long way. And then the third thing is that there was kind of general market acceptance because of companies like Lending Club and Prosper. So this is, so you said originally this is like 2004. He's kind of forecasting, you know, what the real estate market's going to look like. Yeah. But it takes, what, nine years to, I guess, kind of come up with this idea, like, or fully... Um, you know, or, 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 I mean, what took so long well, for him he, to start it up? So he didn't leave the law until I think 06 and helped his brother and they sold that business in right before 09, 08, 08, 09. Yeah. And then and that's um, when it happened. So yeah. And then he was on an Expedia, like helping integrate that business. Got you, got you. And then he ended up leaving there and was going to do some other things. And then all of a sudden, um, jobs act came mm-hmm. along and he's like, wow, now it like makes sense to do this. So he put a business plan together and He's like, hey, I need you to get involved in this thing. And and so he, I was like one of the first pe- uh, people he talked to about it. Um, and and really, it was an industry that I knew very little about. And so um, I had to get educated as quickly as I could. Seems like a common theme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's the thing. Yeah. I think, it's, not I, a knock, it's not a knock on you. I think it's, in fact, more so complimentary in terms of like, and I think it's something that I think a lot of our listeners should also take away from is like, a lot of the stories that we hear, like, you don't really need to be an expert on anything to start it out. You just kind of have to like, just you just got to do it. Number one, yeah. but you got to just learn, like you know, and just learn as you go and just build as you go. Absolutely, there's a lot of learning as you go. But in this business, like without Brew, like he has, this, yeah, he had this unique insight. He understood the legal ramifications. Mm-hmm. He had been around technology enough to kind of be dangerous to know how that whole thing worked. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't think there are a lot of people that could figure out how to put this together. And in fact, if you look at the way our business is put together, even still, no one is approaching this mm-hmm. space the way we are. Yeah, today. it's pretty niche. Like it's pretty, like the whole concept. And I, mean, I guess it's a good kind of segue into like what Pier Street is and how, you know, what it yeah. does. Give us a little background on that. Yeah. So um, uh, just real quickly before we move off that, yeah, yeah. I agree. Like I am a big fan of like jumping into things and Obviously, like, I think most people of Brew approach them would just be like, I don't know anything about that space. Yeah, right. exactly. And that was kind of my initial, like, this is a really big, potentially very massive idea, but I don't. Yeah. Like, like you I left your job at Google for 10 years. Right, to, exactly. To do that this. I it's a big risk. And especially at that time in your life when you, you know, you, I'm sure you had kids or exactly. you're starting to have kids. So. Kids and, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so it took a lot of thinking for me to do it. But what part of what got me to do it was actually, um, I took the idea to Michael Burry, who's the guy. He, was, he, he is the guy from The Big Short, right? He was played by Christian Bale on the movie. Yeah. Um, and we went to the real Michael Burry, and, and long story short, he was like, uh, "I don't want to advise you guys. I want to invest in this business." Wow. I was like, "I just wanted his blessing. That was a good idea." And he was like, "This is a great idea, and you guys have the potential to disrupt the whole thing and actually um, do something very meaningful for a lot of people." This lives. is before you even launched. The product. This is before we launched. We just brought and you already secured an investment. Like so you're, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. And so uh, I had, I knew, I was an investor in a, this business that Michael Bray had also invested in. So we were able to access him. But that was part of my due diligence was going to people that actually did understand the space. I mean, and who, very, who better to go to? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. At a very deep level. Also, I asked Brew, who's like the smartest guy in the world who you would want involved, and he's like Michael Bray. I was like, okay. I'm like, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm an investor in the same company as him. So yeah. I went and figured it out. And, Sure enough. So that gave me a lot of confidence that it was, in fact, a good idea. 
And then the more I got into it, what I didn't realize is like how hard this business was to start. And so let me tell you what it is and then I can explain yeah. that. Because this is a business with a really hard, um, it's got a very hard kind of chicken and the egg cold start right. problem. So what it is, is a two-sided marketplace. Basically, Pure Street's a platform for investing in real estate debt. And, um, you know, you talk about niche uh, earlier when you were describing it, yeah. which is true. We kind of found a niche to start this business in. But the real estate debt uh, is not so industry <laughs> is one of the largest industries, uh, the largest financial markets on the planet. Um, but the interesting thing about it is it's completely inaccessible to most investors as a direct investment. So if you imagine the kind of analog to this would be like the U.S. equities market, like stocks. Yeah. And there, and in, th- in this case, imagine there's no stock market. There's no stock market. There's no New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, any of that. There's no E-Trade, no Schwab, no way to directly invest. Uh, and so how could you do it? You could go call a company, a company and say, hey, I want to invest like $5,000 in Ford. And Ford's like, what? No. Um, uh, or you would probably invest in some mutual fund or some weird mm-hmm. thing that had access to it. And that's kind of how you invest in real estate debt today. You invest in these like tranches of massive pools and the very strange derivatives and all that stuff. Um, so the concept behind Peer Street is like, hey, let's allow people to much more directly invest and connect investors much more closely with the borrowers. Mm-hmm. So we created this marketplace, like a two-sided market, where on one side we work with investors who want access to uh, real estate debt as an investment, and most people don't even know you can invest in real yeah, estate. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, like what most is people, that? most people know you can invest in real estate, right, But yeah. not real estate debt. And so is that like someone who has a mortgage, for example? Exactly, yeah. you're investing in the mortgage side. But where we're starting, the niche actually where we're starting is in the short-term real estate debt. These are short-term bridge loans, hmm. typically for like real estate entrepreneurs like fix and flippers or yep, right, right. people that are going to buy a property, fix it up and put a so, tenant yeah. in it. Um, there's this whole space out there that is not served by banks. It turns out actually a pretty large space that's not served by banks. Um, and so what we're doing is we partner with those guys, those lenders out there that are uh, servicing that industry. And we have created a secondary market for them where we will buy their, we will vet the lenders, vet all of their, each of their loan that they submit to the platform and if we like it, then we'll actually purchase it. And we use a bunch of data and technology to do that, as well as like some manual processes um, to make sure w- we are comfortable with what we're buying. And then we put it up for investors on the other side. Wow. Yeah. So which is really interesting. And so that's what the business is today. And that's where we started. Really hard cold, uh, cold start problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you're like, hey, investors, we're going to have this asset. And then lenders, we'll have investors here eventually. And, you know, so yeah. it's like. Yeah. You're basically pitching this idea to two parties that. I'm not really familiar with this concept of like being bridged. Right. And but, expecting that it might work. Yeah. And the, fortunately, we had something to point to, which is the whole Fannie Mae system. Yeah. That, that's how banks work today. Like if you get a mortgage right mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. like 99 times out of 100, your bank is going to instantly sell that mortgage yep. to the secondary markets, which are Fannie and Freddie. Then it gets pooled and tranched and all that stuff. Um, interestingly, you subsidize those banks on the front end by investing, by uh, depositing your money there and you get nothing in return for it. And they're using it to create mortgages and then sell them off. And then you end up buying those mortgages back in these tranche pools through your like 401k. Quick group. side story. I have a few trigger words and Fannie and Freddie are one of them, or two of them, because I, I, I had invested in both Fannie and Freddie stock. Like this is like... Are those your safe words, like in a, in a sex way? No, 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 no. What are you talking about? De- there? De- definitely yeah, not. Clarify. Definitely not. No. <laughs> definitely not. It, it drives me nuts because it was like 2013-ish. I had just turned 20. I was like around, you know, 21 years old, and I had invested both in Fannie and Freddie in their stock. 
and um, <laughs> and it had gone up like tremendously mm-hmm. at that point. And so I, it was my 21st birthday. I was like, wow, this is amazing. A week after that, um, I'm going to school and I'm just, you know, I'm just checking my Apple stocks app. <laughs> And I just see it's just it's just dropping, you know, it just keeps dropping. And I'm like, fuck, I can't remember my damn password to the Scott Trade account. <laughs> and so literally everything I had made, not only did I lose like what I had made, I had I lost more money on it. So I, I, I hate Freddie and Fanny. My best friend works at Freddie now. Uh, but yeah, it's like, <laughs> funny. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so he'll, he'll not funny it. that you had the loss, but it's funny yeah. your best no, friend. No, no, right? it's funny now too, but yeah. Uh, I want to I want to stay on this topic, but I think it's really interesting because like Kind of going back to you leaving Google uh, to to start this company, like you're kind of in you know years into your career, um, and you're leaving kind of like a sort of safe job at Google, obviously at that yeah. time especially um, to start this brand new company that you don't know much about, and it's kind of like an industry that I mean from what I'm hearing didn't really exist. You kind of figured out like a little pocket to kind of go into and create something out of. Yeah. Like what is going through your mind? Like why did you do this? Was it just because you're best friend came to you and said, hey, let's do this, or was there something else? Um, part Partly because I trusted Brew, and I knew he's, I've always known Brew's very, very smart, and, um, you know, he's got a name like Brew, and he comes across as this jolly, gregarious guy, so <laughs> I think a lot of people underestimate him, but he's actually incredibly smart, like, ridiculous, like, photographic memory kind yeah. of guy, um, and I've known that about him for a long time, that just he's, like, actually super, super smart when you get to know him, and, um, uh, the more he was talking about it, the more I could see that he had seen this from all angles. And not only did he, um, and it was, it's hard to articulate this business. So he wasn't like, Hey Brett, here's the roadmap of exactly how it goes. But the way he was describing it, it was like, this is messed up and we can solve this. And you know what I mean? There's a lot like of problems, so many problems. And it was really a question of yeah. where do you start and yeah. how do you, and at what point in the, in the life cycle of the business, would you actually be able to address those problems? And that was not entirely clear. And yeah. still, it's not entirely clear, right? But I have a much better sense now. And what what it looks like, the way I pitch the business or to kind of describe it today even is we're basically like a Fannie Mae for all the stuff that falls outside of Fannie Mae, which is a very large, is about $700 billion industry annually. Mm-hmm. And, if, and that whole industry is super undercapitalized because if you think about banks before they had Fannie and Freddie, they could only make loans with the capital that they had and then they had to sit on those to term or get more depositor capital before they could make more loans right so they were very capital constrained themselves Fannie and Freddie changed that because they created liquidity and so banks were no longer capital constrained it did some very positive things it created and basically what that is more uh more borrowers had access to more capital more people could live the American dream all that stuff great and it also created a good investment uh for investors for a long time until like everyone stopped paying attention to what mm-hmm. they were doing and like the market went crazy in 2008 happened. But the concepts, a lot of the concepts were good. But if you built Fannie and Freddie today, you would never build them the way they are done. It's crazy how that is incredibly opaque, convoluted and just nuts. So you would never build that today. Mm-hmm. And that's why no one's trying to disrupt that yeah, industry right. because it's like, where do you well, start? Well, we found a place to start and we're building basically the Fannie and Freddie outside of that. We think over time as we build this business and using modern day technology, actual data and analytics and um, just smarter, like a marketplace approach and all this stuff, where much more of what a borrower pays actually gets to the end investor than it does in the Fannie and Freddie system, where like 50 to 90% of the yield is actually stripped out before it gets to the end investor. Um, We think over time, not only can we fill in and create a massive business just in the space that they don't occupy, and we should be able to grow that space, but long term, we think we could actually be quite competitive. And for the investors, is this? I'm, I'm, 
I'm making an assumption, but I'm assuming this is more of a long-term investment for them. But at the same time, you also said that a lot of these are like, you know, buy and sell type, you know, buy, you know, flip type properties. Yeah. What, what, I mean, what's the benefit to the investor? I mean, is it a short-term investment that they're trying to make and just make quick money on? Yeah. Is it just some guy that's, you know, or what, has made money and just wants to just Yeah, save? But by the way, if I'm pitching... Like a retail person, what I just gave you as a pitch is like the worst pitch I could give. So that's, that's uh, yeah, not what I'm doing. I, know, I was trying sure. to give you like a the bigger picture, right, yeah. concept of the business. Yeah, yeah. And like when you're working in a space this big, it's, you kind of have to think in 3D because you can't mm-hmm. think about where the business is when it started or where it is right. at any given moment in time. You kind of have to think about the traje- full trajectory and like how like what those milestones are looking like. But to your point, yeah, if I was talking to like a potential customer, it's like, um, yeah, what people are investing in. The asset is short-term real estate debt. It's, um, you know, you're investing in assets that are like between seven or it's called six and a half to 12% yield in short term. Um, and by short term, I mean between six to 12 months. Mm-hmm. And our average has been 11 months. Um, Pretty short term, yeah. Yeah, and our max loan to value, which is kind of the best kind of risk proxy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like um, is uh, 75%. And our platform-wide average is... 65%. So that means there's a 35% cushion yeah. uh, of loss that could happen before you, it would impact your principal on the investment if you have a diversified portfolio across mm-hmm. our platform. Um, and then, uh, um, and so far, you know, we've done between, we're between 750 to 800 million in origination volume now. And we've had zero losses. No, yeah. one, no one's lost a single dollar investing on the platform. Wow. There have been some interest that hasn't shown up for a couple of properties right. that we had to foreclose on, but they still made money on that on a, uh, overall investment. And ideally, you're well diversified across multiple um, right. investments. Is this considered I mean, like a part of the fintech kind of like? Absolutely, yeah. Is, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, this is I often say fintech and all my surfer buddies are like, sweet, get yeah. some free fins. Like, no, it's not. I know you're big on fintech and actually I follow you like on multiple social platforms and I've seen like all your posts about kind of like just Pierce Street's growth, which is amazing, like just keeping up with it, you know, especially in the last year. Um, and I know it's been about four years, right, since you launched, you said 2014. Um, That's when I left Google. Yeah, I guess we launched at the end of uh, like November 2014 is the first loan we did on the platform. Yeah, and so then 2015 is when we like October 2015 is when we opened to the public. Yeah, let's call it 2015. So it's like three, not even three years, yeah. or almost three years. Um, so you know, you've seen a lot of growth since then, but it almost in some ways seems like you're just getting started because it's such a big industry and so many problems to solve. Definitely. Like, how do you see the next five to ten years panning out for for Pure Street? Um, I'm well. A couple things. First of all, I'm incredibly bullish on where we can go as a business. That said, real estate is a cyclical market. They're in five, 10 years, you know, typical cycles last like nine, 10 years in real estate. So, uh, and you know, that give or take three to five yeah. to 10 years, who knows, you know, it, we'll see. Um, and we've been on the a bull run for quite a while now. So um, I don't necessarily see any downturn around the corner, but I do like, and every, like the cycles are different. I do think that there'll be some probably cooling effects over time, but I think our platform's well uh, designed to like, uh, ride through that and potentially really take advantage of that on the other side of it. So I think there will be some, you know, um, massive opportunities for us going forward. But really, if uh, that that said, the thing I get really excited about with this business is um, there, there are a couple of things. There's the human side and like what we're doing for getting more borrowers access to more capital. And those guys are fixing up their communities and improving their neighborhoods one house at a time and that whole thing. It's like, it's really amazing. They're creating local jobs and 
it's kind of the American dream for a lot of people, and it, and it really is. Meanwhile, investors are getting this asset class that they've never had access to, and like it's harder and harder to get yield anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are taking increased risks, and here we can provide them with what I believe is a relatively safe asset for them to invest in. And like you know, historically that that's been the case with real estate, even in down markets. By the way, like real estate as an asset tends to perform better than like even you know 08 even mm-hmm, though like that's mm-hmm. kind of the poster child of the yeah. crisis equity markets got crushed during mm-hmm. that and so Big you thing. know so that that's the thing and so I, I think going forward um it's just a there's a massive opportunity there but the thing the other thing that really excites me is this business is one where there's these incredible network effects that happen and i recognized this early on and as did a lot of people but I'm increasingly getting really excited about that, about the network effects, because I think we're basically on the precipice as a business, like in our trajectory, I think we're right at that stage where those start to kick in in a very meaningful way. Yeah. And so what do I mean by that? Okay. So the average lender that we work with is like a small private lender. They have to raise, they're not a bank. They have to raise their own capital to make loans. And it's very capital intensive. You're making like a $500,000 loan or a million dollar loan, or, you know, our average is like a $400,000 loan, but that's it because we're in, you know, 45 states now, mm-hmm. right? So, um, uh, so it's a capital-intensive business. So, if w- by having a secondary market, lenders can recycle their capital and make more loans to more borrowers. But when they were uh, raising money on their own, they had very limited capital. They couldn't; it was not very flexible. So they couldn't do like a 15-year loan or something like that on a buy-to-rent property. Mm-hmm. We're now bringing on the types of investors we have. We built the business mostly on retail, and we'll always focus on retail and making sure that retail customers have access to this asset class. But it's important for us to bring diversity to our investor side too. So we have now, we now have over six institutions buying, well, we have six institutions buying loans from us. We have many more in the hopper. So like that's like constantly going up now. And some of these um, guys in our hopper right now that are about to start buying from us are some of the largest loan buyers in the world, Mm -hmm. mortgage buyers in the world, I should say. And that allows, and they, they like short-term loans, they like 30-year loans, and they like everything in between. So what that allows us to do is bring on these buyers um, that will buy loans from our lenders that they could never originate before. But they're perfectly situated to do because they already have relationships with the borrower. They've already underwritten the property. The borrower's already performed on a higher uh, payment mm-hmm. with that loan. So like it's all set up to basically start unlocking value for all these other part, all these participants that are involved, uh, let alone even non-participants. Like, you know, as I said before, if you're in a neighborhood and there's a crummy house and someone mm-hmm. goes in and fixes it up, turns it into a nice house, you didn't do anything and you benefited from that. Right. right. You know? So that, that's what really excites me about where we're headed because that's where things start, the scale uh, of what we built starts to really unlock. Yeah. yeah awesome. When do you have time to just not do pure street like what 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 does brett do for fun (laughs) yeah so uh what i do for fun the thing i do most for fun is surf is Uh, that is that what happened to your no this is mountain biking that's the other thing i do a lot for fun i ride bikes uh you know bicycles i used to road bike a lot Mm -hmm. um and i used to race velodrome for a short period of time as well i was never very good but uh and that wouldn't give me much bigger injuries than this, so that's why I stopped doing that. But uh, uh, no, I, I surf for fun. Um, I work out pretty much every day. Uh, I either surf, run, do yoga, or go to this little like high-intensity interval training gym. And that for me, it's really important because that helps clear my head. Yeah. Um, but the thing I probably like doing most is uh, is hanging out with my kids 
and encouraging them to do those things and mm-hmm. teaching them those things, like whether it be surfing or, mm-hmm. you know, just soccer in the backyard or swimming the pool and chasing them around and stuff like, uh, that's great. And so I, um, I've tried to, you know, it's really hard in the early days of doing a startup to have that kind of work life balance. And I don't claim to have done a great job at that. Uh, but I am trying to do more of that and kind of establish a bit of that balance, mm-hmm. especially as they're getting older, um, you know, uh, later elementary school. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I love doing that. Hopefully future Trojans. Hopefully future Trojans, but... Uh, Maybe you know, Stanford Cardinals. Or, or, or Stanford, yeah. That would be, <laughs> honestly, as a, uh, having done... I don't, I don't hate Stanford. Like, I don't hate Stanford. No, me neither. My yeah. dad went to Stanford. My yeah. grandma went to Stanford, so... Yeah. Uh, and my dad, being a like lifelong hater of USC, as soon as I Ooh. got in, he was like, "You have to go to USC." So that was cool. He was a big supporter of that. Nice. My future kids are just not. There's one school they just can't go to. I'm not gonna even mention it and give them. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's irrelevant. They just can't. They can go wherever they want. Yeah, just not there. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. My last, my last question <laughs> was uh, you, before we were, we we're hanging out with beers here, uh, and you had said that you'd never had Lagunitas IP, and that's my favorite beer. What, what are your thoughts? On oh, this it's, ju- it's delicious. I, I think I've had it. I just, uh, <laughs> look, my, my, uh, there are very few IPAs I haven't had, probably, but uh, we drink, we, we look, we <laughs> we drink a decent amount of beer. We were, our old office space was right across from Simsy's, okay. as I was mentioning yeah. you guys before, yeah. uh, downtown Manhattan Beach. And so, uh, in fact, our conference room that where we're recording this right now is it's called, called Simsies yeah. because it's a nod to <laughs> that was where we spent a lot of time. That was kind of our office outside the office. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I've, I've definitely had this, but uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, the, the I love a lot of the like El Segundo Brewing Company yep. and yep. Uh, uh, Three Weavers. Three Weavers, I was about our, to say. Uh, our guy Dan Graham, head mm-hmm. of underwriting, went to high school with one of the Weaver sisters. Mm. And then um, um, I've been drinking a lot of Modern Times recently out of San Diego. Um, Are you generally a beer guy or is that like, is that your liquor of choice? You know, what's funny is it's become that since moving down to LA. <laughs> what and was it up in uh, NorCal? It was, it was all wine and, wine, and yeah. then spirits. Napa area. Yeah. But yeah. Once that's it was my weird. kind of thing. Yeah. That's it my was, kind of thing. Yeah. So it was interesting because in San Diego where we did Urchin, it was all like Budweiser and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like beach beers because you're on the yeah. beach and it's yeah. hot. PBR. <laughs> little PBR here and there, sure. Especially cycling. A lot of yeah. cyclists love PBR. Yeah. And then um, moved up to Google, and everyone is like, no, nah, no one drinks beer here. Everyone's drinking wine. And, you know, it's because you're They're classy. They're classy people. They're, they're much classy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it was that, plus you're right by Napa, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, I started drinking and learning a lot more about wine. And uh, so basically it came down to when I was at Google, uh, like during that phase of my life, I would drink basically three things. Yeah. Uh, coffee, water, and wine, and typically in that order. That's the holy trinity. It is. It is. is. And and, uh, it was great. And so I lived that way for quite a while, especially actually that was kind of an important rule to have because at Google, they, uh, especially early Google, they had every kind of soda and stuff you'd never heard of. And like you would try stuff just to try it because you would like, Mm -hmm. they would have all kinds of stuff you'd never even heard of. And that becomes pretty dangerous quickly uh, to your health. And so, um, I was like, okay, I got to cut all that stuff out and just be focused and just kind of mm-hmm. set some basic parameters. <laughs> Otherwise, it's gonna be a problem. Yeah, and so caffeine H two and you know and wine. That's yeah, it. but then once I moved down here, Brew, my co-founder, he's really into beer and was into the whole microbrew thing, et cetera. Is, it, is that like a is it a nickname or is that his? Uh, his uh, it's his mom's maiden name was Brewster. Okay. So yeah. his his name's actually Brewster. Yeah. Everyone thinks it's like some sort of fraternity, like beer related. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, that's what I thought <laughs> I mean, it was. I would have had yeah. to guess. Yeah. I was telling Pat on the way here. I was like, if my name was Brew. 
I would, I mean, I would be in the beer business. Like, there's nothing else. I would <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. It, it's, it, I'm meant for it, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. like if my name is Salvatore Ferragamo, like, who's also a Trojan, by the way, uh, I mean, you're going to go into fashion. Like, yeah. that, it's just, it's, my name is not in, in any of those things, but yeah. that's besides the point. But yeah, I think we've had a great time uh, so far, and um, we're super excited to see what Pier Street becomes and, you know, uh, what, what you do with uh, this company. And uh, we're so glad to have sat down with you and had this conversation. Well, thank you. I really uh, appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to doing it again when we're, uh, like, a little further along on yeah. the journey. Yeah, Part two. totally. Part totally. Two. Thanks, Brett. Love yeah. it.